It's Friday, March 22nd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Everyone in the political world is on pins and needles again for the end of the Mueller probe. The buzz is that any day now the probe could end. But don't hype yourself up too much. While President Trump has said that he wants the ridiculous report to be made public, the ball is in Attorney General William Barr's court on how much we will actually see. Darren Samuelson, White House reporter for Politico, joins us for what to expect. Next, we finally get to tell you about the first high-profile mob killing in 34 years. Last week, Gambino crime family boss Francesco Frankie Boy Cali was shot and run over with a truck outside his home. The culprit was 24-year-old Anthony Comello, who has no mob ties, but may have been interested in Callie's niece. My producer Miranda joins us for what we know. Finally, one of the biggest demographic trends of the past 50 years is the rise of singles. In 2017, the Census Bureau reported that 48% of adults were either divorced or never married. Singles in America still face a certain stigma, but studies also suggest they become happier as they age. Elizabeth Bernstein, columnist for the Wall Street Journal, joins us to talk about the art of being single. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I got 63 million votes. And now somebody just writes a report. I think it's ridiculous, but I want to see the report. And you know who want to see it? The tens of millions of people that love the fact that we have the greatest economy we've ever had. Joining us now is Darren Samuelson, senior White House reporter for Politico. Everybody is on pins and needles waiting for the release of the Mueller report. We kind of went through this already in January when acting attorney general Matthew Whitaker said that the investigation is nearly done and everybody is saying, oh, it might come out this week. And then that never happened. But now everybody's really anticipating that it might happen any day now. What are all these signs that everybody looking at why that might happen? We certainly have been through this quite a bit. And, and for someone like me who's been covering this for two years, this question of when will it be over has just been hovering since the start. Everybody has been asking me this question over and over and over again, from my parents to my neighbors, to my editors, to my colleagues. And us now. <laughs> and you now, and I will tell you just today, as we kind of are in this point, I'm in just walking into the office, I'd say 10 colleagues wanted to know the answer to this question today <laughs> in, a, in a way that they hadn't before. So the attention is certainly picked up. There's a couple of reasons why we're feeling this way. Obviously, there's been some public signs. The Mueller special counsel's office has actually confirmed that two of its most high profile prosecutors, Andrew Weissman, who had the lead profile on the uh, Paul Manafort case, they confirmed that he was leaving the team here soon. He's going to be going back to NYU where he'll be teaching. So I think that that was one sign. He's been sort of maybe the deputy underneath Mueller. There's a couple of very high-profile deputies, but he's one of them. And then a second prosecutor, Zanab Ahmad, who uh, comes from New York, who was a key part of the Michael Flynn prosecution, also leaving the Mueller team. And when they confirmed that, that, that I think sent off a pretty big sign when you see two of their highest-profile prosecutors are not going to be there any longer. We also learned that the lead FBI special agent who has been working for the Mueller team also was reassigned earlier this month in the FBI confirmed that he had been sent down to Richmond, Virginia to take over the bureau down there. So seeing departures on the staff level, also the ending of the Paul Manafort case, the sentencing there happening in the last couple of weeks. We also know Michael Flynn's cooperation is done, which Mueller's team has indicated as well. All are signs that are pointing to it that we know about publicly. We also know, obviously, the House is anticipating. The House of Representatives voted a couple of weeks ago 420 to zero to see the entire Mueller report. Yeah. So they're clearly anticipating that this is almost over, too. And that's the um, other big question, right? 
right there is how much of this are we actually going to see? The president sure. has said he says the report should be released, although he called it ridiculous. He said, let it come out. Let people see it. Let's see whether or not it's legit. A lot of people are saying we're really not going to see that much of it. It's all about what the it is here. And the expectations probably always were way too high that you were going to get every single itch scratch and we were going to learn whether Donald Trump conspired with the Russians to win the 2016 election, how he did it, all of the different. There are so many subplots to this story, and I count probably 200 of them over the course of the last couple of years that have been reported about. But here's the kicker, and, and I guess going to be disappointing to people. And there has been, I wrote a piece in October of last year warning people that they should probably lower their expectations. But there's a couple of things going on here. One, I mean, if people remember Ken Starr and how things played out in the Monica Lewinsky era and their famous Star Report, which had all kinds of salacious details that described, you know, the president's conduct, that is not going to happen. And that's not going to happen for a very important reason that when Ken Starr was doing that report, he was actually required under the law to give Congress a report about impeachable offenses committed by the president. The only thing he's required to do is to give a confidential report to the attorney general, William Barr, that explains why he indicted certain people and why he didn't indict other people. And then it's up to Bill Barr to decide what from there to be releasing to the public. And Bill Barr has said he is probably going to do a summary of that document. So, so the ball is in William Barr's court with regards to how much he's going to release. I'm assuming at that point we wait for the leaks to happen. What happens uh, to the president? Does he get to see the report or does he only get to see what William Barr puts out there? Robert Mueller is a by-the-book prosecutor. He is someone who is likely to very much stick to the company line and not depart from it. If you go back and look at some of his testimony when he was the FBI director, he was very, very careful, very deliberate in the, in the way he testifies in public, kind of boring. And I think that that is you know, going to probably disappoint people that they really will not draw Robert Mueller out to explain in more detail why he didn't indict person X, Y, or Z. Another attack here that a sitting president of the United States can't be indicted under DOJ Justice Department precedent that goes back to Watergate. So that's another question that I'm sure people will want to get Robert Mueller on the record talking about for the Trump to get to see this document. Trump and his lawyers are certainly saying they expect to get to see the document, but I don't know that that's absolutely going to happen. I mean, there probably will be a heads up to the White House that this is moved through and, and you know, Bill Barr would certainly be putting himself into, you know, some, some additional crosshairs with Democrats if he were to share the document, especially if this document benign as we're talking about and doesn't get into presidential issues. And there's really no reason for President Trump and his lawyers to be looking at it. Darren Samuelson, senior White House reporter for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Frankie Boy was shot several times outside of his home in Staten Island around 9.30 p.m. There was a knock on the door. He came and he answered. By all accounts, he was ambushed. He was shot more than 10 times. And then his body was run over by a truck for good measure. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. Last week on March 13th, a Wednesday, we were told about a mafia hit that possibly could have happened. The Gambino crime family boss, his name was Francesco Frankie Boy Cali. He was shot and killed and run over with a truck. Yikes. And at first they thought it could have been some type of intra-mafia squabble. We're getting a lot of details now about what happened, but let's start at the beginning. Who is Frankie Boy Cali and what do we know about his death, Miranda? Frankie Boy Cali became the crime family's acting boss in 2015, replacing the then 68-year-old Dominico Salafu. 
federal prosecutors in Brooklyn referred to Kelly in court filings recently as the underboss of the Gambino organization. He was related by marriage to an original Sicilian mafia guy. And so last Wednesday, the 13th of March, Frankie Boy was shot several times outside of his home in Staten Island around 9.30 p.m. There was a knock on the door. He came and he answered. By all accounts, he was ambushed. He was shot more than 10 times. And then his body was run over by a truck for good measure. And originally they thought it was some sort of intra-mafia squabble or someone trying to take him out as a power grab. And now we're finding out who actually did it is a 24-year-old guy named Anthony Camello. And we'll get into his past in a minute. But the police said that Camello lured Mr. Cali out of his home by backing his truck into Mr. Callie's Cadillac Escalade. And then he went to go ring the doorbell to say, Oh, we had a car accident. Exactly. And this is all caught on surveillance camera near the front door. They have a clear image of Comello's face. They said that the gunman picked up the Escalade license plate to hand it over to Callie. And then as he was handing it over, boom, 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 that's where he shot him. And Mr. Comello's fingerprints were all over this license plate. So that's how they were able to track him down pretty easily. One source told the New York Post that the ambush was, uh, quote, disrespectful. End quote. Shoot a guy in the back. Of course. And he's a mob boss. So Frankie Kelly, they said he was a real quiet, old school boss, very, very low key, low profile, not unlike some of the other guys that were out and about. He he kept to himself a lot. They said that he was a, a unifying figure in the family credited with recruiting new immigrant gangsters from Italy and focusing on the heroin and Oxycontin trades. Oh, what so, a nice guy. <laughs> Lovely. His only mob-related criminal conviction was 16-month sentence in 2008 for extortion charges related to some failed attempt to build a NASCAR track <laughs> on Staten Island. So that was the only thing that he had and, and goes to his low-key profile. Let's learn a little bit more about Anthony Camello. As we said, they originally thought it could have been some type of mob thing. Then we started finding out that it might have been that Anthony Camello had a thing for Frankie Boy, Callie's niece, and he put the squash on it. That's still unconfirmed. What we do know about Anthony Camello is that he has no ties to the mafia. He is not in any family, so to speak, related to any of these affiliations. And he's going to have some issues in jail. Basically, Anthony Camello is a nut job. I think it's fair to say he's he's 24 years old. He's got no prior run-ins with the law except for a parking ticket that he got on Staten Island the day of the shooting. Yeah, he's just a construction worker. Yeah, he would take odd jobs and he had an interest allegedly in a niece of Callie. And it's believed that this killing occurred as revenge for Callie putting the squash. We don't know whether the niece was even interested in dating him. We don't know. When Anthony Camello showed up for his first court appearance, he had a bunch of stuff scrawled all over his hand. It said MAGA forever. He ran an Instagram account called Real America's Voice, which was filled with a lot of anti-Democrat and pro-Trump stuff. He also had a big Q written on the palm of his hand in reference to QAnon, which is like another conspiracy theory group. You might remember QAnon. They're the people who came up with Pizzagate, that D.C. pizza parlor Hillary Clinton, John Podesta were running a secret child molesters pedophile ring. And Camello is part of a group of people online who believe that President Trump is saving America from sex traffickers. It's all very much deep state conspiracy conspiracy theory theory stuff. Alex Jones stuff. Yeah. And as you were alluding to the problems that he's going to have in jail, investigators, NYPD officials have all said this guy's got a big X on his back. You don't know what's going to happen. It could be a couple of wise guys in prison that might, I like a, how you say that's that. a literal quote yeah the cops said there could be some wise guys in jail who will show their allegiance to the Gambino family and say hey we might take care of this guy it could also be an up-and-comer guy who wants to just 
make a name for himself. Yeah, a random inmate who wants to boost his reputation. And for that, they're saying that they're going to probably have to keep this guy in protective custody or even in the hospital ward so that he doesn't get murdered before. But they said that usually when these mafia hits happen, that happen in jail, they wait until after the trial, they let him go through, and then it's when he gets sent away for his life sentence that they'll just take him out. So it's going to be a slow burn on this. Right. And then finally, we can just end with the funeral for Frankie Boy Callie. Only about a little over a dozen people actually showed up for the funeral. But you know who was there? A ton of reporters and cops. Yeah, a ton of cops identified as FBI and NYPD. And they were there to see who's active, who's going to take charge, who's kind of leading the show. And they want to know the new hierarchy now that this Callie is out of the picture. Who's going to be the next boss? An interesting point is that when it came time to the burial, a gravedigger for the cemetery where Callie's body will lie forever. He's in a like a marble red mausoleum crypt with a view of the ocean, which sounds nice. But when they showed up to get the plot, mafia guys showed up with a suitcase filled with $45,000 in cash. Yeah, total mob way to pay for it. And this is the best line in this article from the New York Post. The gravedigger said... Some guy from ABC was asking a question in the office and a mob guy said, get the F out of here before I blow your effing head off. (laughs) So it's just, you know, nobody wants the media around for any of this stuff. And it was the first mob hit like this in 34 years. But we're finding out it's not really a mob hit. It's not even a mob hit. It's this crazy guy. So I feel ripped off, quite frankly. (laughs) We'll find out more as he goes through his court proceedings. But for now, Frankie Boy Callie is no more. Thanks, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. People can walk in, take themselves to dinner, be in a restaurant, and the host might say, hey, table for just one? Well, it's not just one. I'm taking myself out. Tax situations, housing situations. It is so much more expensive to live as a single person. So it's a lot of things that single people deal with. Joining us now is Elizabeth Bernstein, reporter and columnist for The Wall Street Journal, writing about relationships. Wanted to bring you on to talk about your latest article, The Art of Being Single. Single people still face stigma all over, even though their ranks have grown. The number of this is actually pretty interesting. 48% of adults aged 18 or older are considered to be single in the country right now. That's a lot of people. There's new studies that suggest that singles become happier as they age. So you shouldn't worry about being single. I know uh, I have a number of friends that are single right now. And and I see their woes sometimes. Sometimes they're stressed out about it. Sometimes they're very happy that they have that freedom. So tell us a little bit about what it's like being single right now. I think many people become single against their will. Possibly they get divorced or a spouse dies. If you think about it, every person who's married, one member of that couple will become single at some point. One person will outlive the other. So that's a big issue. There's college kids graduate, you know, they're single, they're out of this world where, you know, there's a million possibilities of dating. So there's different stages of being single and different reasons why people might be stressed out about it. But what happens is many people feel that being single is less than. Many single people, but also many people who are not single sort of wonder what's wrong with single people. There's actually a big stigma against single people in society. Yeah, there's actually an author who coined a specific term about when people that are single are discriminated against, and it's called singleism. What are these kind of stereotypes that these people fight a lot of times? 
people think that single people, something's wrong with them. They think that they're selfish. They think that they're lonely hearts, all sorts of things like that. But also, society's just organized around being coupled. There's a tremendous amount of pressure. Like, think about all the, you know, families. Like, hey, who are you dating? And even the the language around some of this. Like, you know, hey, can I fix you up? Well, that suggests I'm broken, right? If I'm single, I'm not broken. You don't have to fix me up. If you know somebody interesting, you might want to introduce me. You know, but we don't even think of the language. Like, single people can walk in, take themselves to dinner, be in a restaurant, and the host might say, hey, uh, table for just one? Well, it's not just one. I'm taking myself out. So, like, never mind, like, tax situations, insurance situations, housing situations. It is so much more expensive to live as a single person. So it's a lot of things that single people deal with. I was just out with a group of friends over the weekend, actually, and I witnessed this whole thing of, can I set you up with somebody? We were all hanging out outside. All of our friends brought over some guy to talk to one of our girlfriends who who, who is single right now. And I could just see her face. She was just mortified by the whole thing. It's like, why are you calling me out in front of everybody? We're all having a good time. The poor guy tried and failed to make conversation just because she was so awkward about it. She didn't want to be in that situation. You know, it's just true. That's a lot of times people can be happy being alone or, you know, maybe it's just something they don't want to address right now. At what age range does this hit people the hardest? suggest that in the 30s, it's very hard. I mean, I think it's hard at many stages. If you've been with a life partner for 50 years and you lose that partner, they that person died. Like, that's very hard. But, you know, research seems to suggest that in your 30s, when everybody's really coupling up, they're getting married, you're going to a wedding every month, that can be hard if you're single. That's, that's a particularly hard time to be single. But after post-divorce is hard. Post-college, when you're off on your own somewhere without that social network is hard. It can be hard across, you know, many areas. Let's get into some tips. How can you be happy while being single? I know you say create a full life now. You know, don't try to find that partner. Have fun with yourself and do those special things you would do with another person, but do them for yourself as well. Exactly. So what you, by building a full life, you really want to get out there in the world and not wait for a partner and not be sort of doing things to find a partner. So, oh, I'm going to go to this event because maybe there'll be single people there. No, but I'm going to go do something because I really enjoy it. I always want to learn to golf. I want to learn to play tennis or, you know, I'd like to get in better shape for me. You know, I'm going to join the gym, whatever it is, but build a full life. I have a cause I care about. So I'm going to volunteer or do some activism, like build up your life. And then on top of that, yes, treat yourself. Like many people will treat somebody they're dating. They'll buy them gifts. They'll take them to eat. They'll stay over and make the bed in the morning. Well, why aren't you doing this for yourself? Build this life that you want and not to get somebody else. That, that's the advice. One of the other tips you had in your article was to be fully present. I think this works across the board for single people and people who are in relationships. Just something to do in your own life. You mentioned if you're working at the gym or walking in the park, don't constantly check to see if there's somebody around that you can hook up with or something. And it goes for like our phones and our digital lives. You know, don't pull out the phone and look at all through all your social media, constantly checking it. Be present in those activities that you're doing in relationships. People can like forget to have fun in the moment with the person they're dating because they're so worried about what's going to happen next week. Am I going to see this person next week? Do they like me? Whatever. Like enjoy the moment. You're 
anecdote about this friend who's mortified. They're trying to fix her up in front of everybody. And this poor guy who feels like he's failing in front of everybody. And it really yeah. has nothing to do with them liking each other, right? You would never do that to a couple. Nobody, so, so they're again, they're trying to fix her. Nobody would ever think like, wow, there's that couple. They're having some trouble. Let me in front of everybody suggest right. marital therapy or invite them to the therapist, right? Yeah, it was quite a thing to watch. Elizabeth Bernstein, reporter and columnist writing about relationships for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.